Well, good morning again, and happy Father's Day to all of you dads. Hey, I got a question for the guys as we get started here this morning. How many of you, when you were young, had some version of war that you would play? All right, with a show of hands. Yeah, I'd imagine, once again, all the hands of every guy in the room are up here as we're recording. Well, one of my all-time favorite toys as a kid was the Guns of Navarone playset. Now, if you've never heard of this thing before, which is probably most people, go and Google this thing. It was absolutely epic. It cost $14.97 back in the day, which was a lot of money, but for my eight-year-old self, it was worth every penny. It came in the biggest box that I had ever seen. It had this huge mountain fortress that was fortified with cannons and observation decks, and it even had a working elevator inside. There were more than 200 pieces, including tanks and half-tracks and amphibious assault vehicles. There were all kinds of different soldiers with all kinds of different weapons, machine guns and rifles and pistols and grenades and mortars. Now, this was back in the day before video games. And this was as close as you could come to something like Call of Duty. In those days, I couldn't pick up a controller and then immerse myself in a digital world where I could pick up guns and I could pick up and hop into these different vehicles. This was our Call of Duty. And for my friends and I, we spent a whole lot of hours pretending to kill our enemies. And for us, it was glorious. Well, eight or nine years after, I boxed that play set up for the last time. I went to see the movie Platoon. And when the movie was over, it took a long time before I could get out of my chair. And it wasn't because it was at that Harmar Theater. Some of you might remember that one when the floor was all sticky from the pop and the chairs were all broken. It wasn't that that I couldn't get up out of it because I was at Pavilion Place, which was the nice one, right? Nice chairs, nice uh, non-sticky floors. So it wasn't, that wasn't the reason I was in my chair. The reason I was stuck in my chair is because I was 19 when I saw that movie. And it struck me as this movie was going on that many of those guys in that real war, that's the age that they were, my age. And I tried to imagine myself having to face those things that they faced and make those decisions that they had to make. And when that movie was over, I was just stuck in my chair. I had a similar experience when I watched Saving Private Ryan about a dozen years later and Band of Brothers after that. There's a term that we coined several years ago at ECC, and we call it unsolating, unsolating. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Unsolating strips away things that insulate us from knowing and understanding others. Take a movie like 1917. My grandfather, in many ways, lived that. He was a runner, like the two protagonists in that film. And on one of his missions, he watched his friend step on a mine and die a horrible death. Now, I've never been in combat. And I know, I know, I get it. Watching movies, reading books, speaking to people who experience things that I haven't, that is not the same as being there, but can those things soften our hearts? Absolutely. And I'd invite you to write this down too. Unsolating can soften your heart. 
Now, when we use the term heart this morning throughout the rest of this message, we're going to use it the way the Bible does. The Hebrew term that we translate as heart, it refers not only to our feelings, it refers to our intellect, it refers to our emotions, it refers, refers to our will. And our world needs more people whose minds are seeking truth like never before. This world needs more people who have compassion for those who are hurting. And this world needs more people who are willing to do what they can to help. But you know this. Our world is trending a very different way, isn't it? People are so quick to shun and to cancel and to shout down everyone who disagrees with them instead of trying to listen, instead of trying to understand. And one of the ways that we're seeing this play out right now involves racial equality and law enforcement. And I've been trying, I've been trying really hard to listen to the unfiltered voices of black parents as they talk about the talk, the talk that they feel compelled to give to their sons, the talk of when you get pulled over by the police, here's how you don't get killed. I've never even had that thought cross my mind. When I see a police car, I might look down from time to time at my speedometer, that's it. So I've been having, trying to listen to those voices as best I can. And also, I had the privilege during this season that we're in of listening to the unfiltered voice of a parent of a police officer right here in the Twin Cities. I know her son, Trent. He was in our youth group. He went to our church. He attended when he was a teen. Trent puts his life on the line each and every day to protect and to serve as best as he can. Now, it may be Father's Day, but you want to hear a thought that popped into my head? And that thought is actually about moms. Imagine this. Imagine if we were able to say to everyone who got us where we are now, what if we were able to say to all of them, hey, okay, you've had your chance, and we're going to try something else. And what if we tried this? What if we got a group of moms together? who one, love their sons, and two, who listen really, really well. What if we then sent them away on a retreat where there were lots of couches? I would put far more faith in that group of moms who love their sons and who listen really, really well, and they didn't come in thinking, I've got all the answers. I would put far more faith in that group of moms than I would in people who think they've all got it figured out. Especially if there's a financial incentive to keep things us versus them. Can I get an amen to that? Well, do you remember last spring? Immigration was all over the headlines and a lot of people were shouting at each other. What real, helpful, substantive changes came out of last spring? Before that, it was one mass shooting after another. And a lot of people were shouting at each other. What real, helpful, substantive changes came out of that season? Is anyone else sick of seeing this cycle where people see and then they react and then they yell at each other and then they move on? 
Real lasting change can happen when we unsolate. Because unsolating, what that can do is that can change our hearts. It can change our intellect. It can change our emotion. It can change our will. So let's press into that this morning. Now, as the people of God, we want our hearts to be aligned with God's heart. And so two weeks ago, we began digging into the book of Exodus. This book has so much to say about so many things that we're facing right now. Pastor Jason did an excellent job last week. If you you haven't already listened to that message, go back and listen to it. Exodus has so much to say to us today, including this concept of unsolating. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Exodus chapter 5. And as we do, I want to bring you quickly up to speed. If you're not familiar with this book, The book of Exodus begins where Genesis leaves off. In Genesis, God made a covenant with a man named Abram. God said that Abram was going to be the father of a great nation and his offspring would become like light and blessing to the world. One of Abram's descendants, a man named Joseph, was brought to the land of Egypt, but he was brought as a slave. God was with Joseph and used Joseph to save that whole region from starvation. The Egyptian pharaoh, was so grateful to Joseph that he invited Joseph's entire family to come and to live in Egypt, to immigrate there. And when they did, they were welcomed and they were treated well. But years passed and what Joseph did was forgotten. And this is where Exodus opens up with a new Pharaoh who took the throne and enslaved the children of Israel. This time it wasn't just one of them, it was all of them. Well, the children of Israel cried out to God. God called upon a man named Moses to go to Pharaoh and lead his people out of Egypt. And here's how that first meeting went between Moses and Pharaoh. This is Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and they said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? And why should I obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And so it begins the epic showdown. Moses comes to Pharaoh with a thus says the Lord. Pharaoh comes back with a thus says Pharaoh. And the Lord sends plagues one after another that demonstrate his power over things that the gods of Egypt were supposed to have control over. Well, today, we're going to go quickly through this section three times. That's what we're going to do here today. And each time we do that, we're going to focus on a different character. Let's start with Pharaoh. God sends 10 plagues. And each time after each of these plagues, Scripture says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Here are a few examples. Here's one from chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. This frames out what's about to happen. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And sure enough, chapter 8, that comes to pass. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Here's one from chapter 9. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Another one from chapter 9. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Here's one from chapter 10. 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Now, I don't fully understand what it means when it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart there at the end. But what is clear to me are two things. One, that things happened just as God said they would. And two, Pharaoh was responsible for that initial hardening of his heart. Now, it may be really easy to point fingers at Pharaoh and like, why are you letting your heart be hardened? But look at what Pharaoh had to lose. The Bible doesn't name which Pharaoh was on the throne at the time, but as we weigh the evidence, there are two primary candidates. And one of them is Ramses II. If you know anything about Egyptian history, Ramses II, he, if he was the Pharaoh during the time of the Exodus, this occurred under the watch of the Pharaoh who is regarded as the greatest, most celebrated, most powerful Pharaoh of them all. Now, if it was Thutmose III, the other candidate, he was still considered a god. The wealth and the might of Egypt was Pharaoh's to control. Or so they thought. Control, as we've said before, it's ultimately an illusion. Can I get an amen? Well, rather than learn more about this God that Pharaoh did not know, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart against him. Here's one very telling example of where Pharaoh's heart went next, or at least a better way of saying it, where Pharaoh's heart was at. And you might want to open up to this one. This one is Exodus chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 34 here. Take a look at this. This is a great description of where Pharaoh's heart was at. It says this, But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, what does it say? He sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to God, God, if you get me through this, I will dot, dot, dot. And then when the time comes to dot, 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 you don't dot, 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 because the rain, the thunder, the hail has already passed. You might want to write this down. Hard-hearted people may relent, but they never truly repent. And let me tell you one of my fears. One of my fears for the COVID season that we're in, one of my fears when it comes to racial equality. My fear is this. There are lessons to be learned here. There are important lessons to be learned right now. There are changes that need to be made, important changes that need to be made. And everybody knows this, but my fear is we're just going to stay in that cycle of either bad thing happens and we don't keep our promises, to ourselves or to God or to others, or that cycle of something happens, people react, they shout at each other, and then they move on. As I was thinking about Pharaoh and I was thinking about us, here's another thought that popped into my head. And the thought is this, hard-hearted people, they're not going to like heaven anyway. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some of the least likely candidates for heaven, they are the hard-hearted. 
You see how God feels about the hard-heartedness. You see it in Exodus, but you see it throughout the Bible. Hard-hearted people are among the least likely candidates for heaven. But hard-hearted people, they probably wouldn't like it anyway. Here's why. Because hard-hearted people are convinced that everybody else, including God, should see things the way that they do. And that's not how heaven works. There's only going to be one king in heaven. And he's a good king. And he's a just king. And everything works better when it's his kingdom that comes and his will that's done. Okay, that's what we see when we follow Pharaoh through these chapters. We see somebody who continually hardens his heart. Well, now let's go back. Let's do this again. And this time, let's trace the trajectory of Pharaoh's officials. Here's what we see when we do. Early on, Pharaoh's officials, they're not all that impressed with Moses. Here's some examples. The members of Pharaoh's court, they were able to throw down their staffs and their staffs became serpents, like what Moses did. They were able to turn some water from the Nile into blood. They were even able to make some frogs appear. But as those signs kept coming from God, they began to say things like this. This is chapter 8, verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this one, this here, this is the finger of God. And it, it got even more um, real to them as time went on. By chapter 9, verse 20, many of them, they were beginning to trust the God of Israel more than the gods of Egypt. And here's an example. When, when Moses said, hail is going to be coming, what did a lot of the people do, the Egyptian officials? They made sure that their animals were brought under shelter. And by chapter 10, verse 7, they were straight up, let these people go. Get them out of here. Their eyes were beginning to open. They were beginning to question their beliefs. And they realized that there was a greater cost to holding on to their system of oppression than there was with breaking it down. But when the children of Israel did leave, when they followed the one true God out of Egypt, what did the officials do? They stuck with their Pharaoh. They held on to their gods, even after all that they had seen. And that brings us to this crucial part, this crucial part of unsolating. I really encourage you to write this one down. Humility can lead to healing. We don't know what we don't know. Humility can, can lead us to seeing things that are broken within us that we may never have seen before and seeing things that are broken around us that we have maybe never seen before. And when we begin to see things that are broken within us, when we begin to see things that are broken around us, that's when healing has a chance. Humility is one of those things that set Moses apart. This is from Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses knew that there was a lot that he didn't know. And whether it was intentional or not intentional, we see Moses practicing unsolating in ways that we didn't see when we looked at Pharaoh, but ways that we didn't see when we looked at Pharaoh's officials. Take a look at this as we go through this final time, this time with Moses. Here's an example, Exodus 2, 11 through 13. One day when Moses had grown up, what did he do? He went out to his people. He looked on their burdens. And then what did he do the next day? He went out again. 
this is insulating. This is insulating 101. Going out to, getting up close to, and then doing it again. I think it's worth noting that this didn't happen until Moses was 40. Remember that as we fast forward now another 40 years. At the age of 80, Moses sees a burning bush. What does he do? This doesn't fit his paradigm. So what does he do? He walks towards it. And Moses said, Exodus 3.3, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? Again, Moses steps towards something that he doesn't understand. And this results in Moses unsolating himself towards God. Now at age 80, there are always new things that we can learn. There's a whole lot of precedents. There are a whole lot of precedents that we can point to where God used people who got a late start. Can I get an amen? Well, can God start a new chapter in your life at age 40, at age 80? Yes. Yes, if. Yes, if you let him. There is so much. There is so much we can learn from Moses. But the life of Moses ultimately points to Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. When Jesus summed up all the teachings that God gave through Moses, he summed them up with two commands. He said, this is it. If we're going to sum up everything that Moses taught, every law that came from God through Moses, here we go. You can sum it up with love God and love people. How do we do that well? I'd invite you to write this down. If you want to understand how to love God, how to love others, begin by listening to their unfiltered voices. How do you love God well? How do you know what that means? Unsolate yourself from him. We can learn so much from him by going to his unfiltered word. We can learn so much about him by just getting outside. Just get outside and take off the headphones and open your eyes and experience him in his creation. You can learn so much by being quiet, by being silent, by learning to listen for that still small voice. In the weeks ahead, I'm going to do my best, the best I can, to challenge you to put away distractions during this time when we get together to worship God. And here's the other. If you've never consciously invited the presence of Christ to come into your life, do that today. Just last night, just last night, I was on a Zoom call with a young man, and he had an encounter with God driving home to Mankato. He was just in his car. Here's a, he was a young man. He grew up in a home that wasn't a Christian home, but he had heard people talk about God. And one day he was driving back home and, and on his drive, he was dealing with some tough stuff and he opened himself up to Christ. And he had this God encounter right there on the drive home. There was no flash of lightning. There was no burning bush. But what he described yesterday sounded an awful lot like what we're talking about today, about a new heart. <laughs> this is the way he put it. He said, Chris, I get it now. He said, this is what people are talking about. We've got a God that can be known. Unsolate yourself to him. Unsolate yourself, I should say, probably from him. All right, so that's God. Some ways to 
Unsolate yourself to God. What about others? How do we love others well? Unsolate yourself from them. And in this season, many of us are adopting a new learning posture towards our African-American brothers and sisters. Don't miss this moment. Listen to their voices. Read books that articulate their experience. Watch movies that they recommend. Now, is that the same thing as experiencing their experience for yourself? No, of course not. But can these things help? Absolutely. Pride divides, but where there's humility, there's always hope, hope for healing. And with a show of hands, how many of you would say that the world needs more healing? The God who led his people out of slavery, just as he said he would, wants to lead us to new places too. The spirit of Christ is leading his people towards a glorious future when the king returns and all will be as it should be. So let's commit right here, right now, to join him in his work. Let's offer ourselves, let's offer our gifts. Please join me as we we pray this prayer together that we've been learning for the last several weeks. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself up for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, I want to pray especially right now for my brothers, my sisters, who've never experienced your presence in their life. Father, first of all, I pray that you strip away what that should look like or what it shouldn't look like. And Father, I pray that you meet them. Meet them in the way that they need to be met. For your glory, for their benefit, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.